Good morning. Happy New Year. I don't know about you, but sometimes when a new year rolls around, I think about past events, find out, try to remember things. And I was thinking about saying Happy New Year. Fifty years ago, back 50 years ago tomorrow, I remember showing up at Fort Knox, Kentucky, got off of a bus United States military, and I remember this drill sergeant standing there, no coat, just in a starch fatigues. I remember him looking at all of us, and he said, Happy New Year, boys. I found out pretty soon he didn't mean it. But anyway, that 50 years ago, I can't remember. I mean, that just shocks me to think that that's all behind me now. You know, I know some of you younger people, you hear me talk about something 50 years ago, back 19, that was 1970, 72, I believe it was, 73, yeah, 73. I, I, you know, that's like when I was 20 years old, my dad telling me something that happened back in 1920s that don't mean much to me, you know, but for us older folks, 1970s were just still pretty real in our mind, you know, 50 years ago. So, I don't know, I, I'm just rambling, okay? Let's get on with some teaching today out of John 12. We're in John 12, 37 through 50. We're ending up a section in the Gospel of John. And uh, just like the, the year's ending, this is actually a, I was telling some of the guys this morning, I said, this is actually a, an ending. I know we're in the middle of the, the Gospel of John, but it's an ending. There is an end right here. And we'll discuss that today. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this year that we've experienced. We thank you for your faithfulness throughout the year, Lord. We thank you for your word, which is eternal, Lord God, and it, uh, it has its effect upon our hearts as we put our trust in what you've said, what you've spoken, and as we step from the darkness into the light, Lord, it does make a huge difference in our existence, a huge difference in our lives, Lord, those changes you make in us, those things you do in our hearts and lives, Lord. And I pray today, Lord, that you'll apply this word to each person's heart and life here today, God, and that as we go out of this place, Lord, we would walk as men and women of light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, John here... I'm in verse 37 today, but I'm going to go back to the last half of 36, and I'm just going to read from 36b, I guess you'd call it, down through verse 43, and we're going to discuss this a little bit. So if you'll follow along with me in John chapter 12, the last half of 36 through 43. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which, was sp which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said 
because he saw his glory and, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Okay, after Mary anointing Jesus, after Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, after Jesus foretelling his, his death there in verse 27 and so forth there, and there's this pause, and in this pause, John sort of gives us an overview of what's been happening. He's wanting to summarize uh, what Jesus has been experiencing. And John's first reaction to all this is in verse 37. He says, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. John's like, this is incredible. Jesus did everything that would be, you would think, logically possible to get people to believe in him, and yet they're not believing him. He's talking about how illogical it is of the Jews. Well, you know, unbelief is a spiritual problem. Uh, it's not that you don't have enough facts. It's not that you don't have enough evidence. It's that you're unwilling. You're not willing to give yourself over to something. So John's first reaction to the Jews' unbelief was that it's totally illogical. It didn't make any sense. All these signs. Now, I think in the, in the, 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 the letter or to the Gospel of John, I think he did about seven or eight signs. And the last of which was the raising of Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now look, think about this. It was, it was known that Lazarus was dead, and it was known that Jesus raised him from the dead. You would think that would be enough to turn everybody upside down. But I think if you'll, if you'll read back in John 11, after Jesus raised him from the dead, the Jews that witnessed this ran off to the Sanhedrin and said, well, he's, he's raising the dead. And they said, we've got to do something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you got to do something you need to believe. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to get rid of him because he was taking their place and in the place of their religion. It was a selfish thing that was going on. So the last sign in John's gospel was the resurrection of Lazarus. So what I'm trying to say in all this, though I say this is an end, a certain end in the book of John, or in the gospel of John, is that there's no more signs after this. There's no more signs from chapter 13 on. There's no sign, except his resurrection. And he didn't do that for everyone. He did that for certain groups. And after this, there's, it's, it's finished, is what John is trying to say. So their unbelief seemed to be unbelievable to John. Next, John shares something else. It's a prophetic word from Isaiah, where he says here in verse 38, he says, Lord, who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is out of Isaiah 53, verse 1. Now, for those of you that are Bible people who study the Bible, you'll know that Isaiah 53 
is called the, 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 the chapter of the suffering servant. It's a direct reference to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus and the purpose of his sufferings, about why he went through he went through and what God used it for, how it was used to transform us as a people. Now, the Jews have always likened Isaiah 53 to, to be speaking of them as a people, but we know it wasn't speaking of them as a people of suffering, as people who suffered. It was speaking of an individual, someone who God sent. God sent this suffering servant to be someone who would uh, die for our transgressions. It spe speaks specifically in there. And so by John inserting this, and I want you to know the Gospel of John, he doesn't put a lot of Old Testament prophecies in his, his gospel. When he sticks an Old Testament prophecy in somewhere, he is, he is being, uh, he's trying to relate to something. And so what he's doing, he's relating Jesus, he's relating Jesus to Isaiah 53. Basically, he's saying that Jesus is that one that's mentioned in Isaiah 53. And he's like saying, here's the unbelief. To whom is, who? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? I mean, it's like, this is it. Uh, the arm of the Lord was revealed in Jesus, and they didn't believe. And uh, the second thing is, John quotes in Isaiah, out of Isaiah 6, and, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. It's, he's, this is where John saw the glory of the Lord. You know, he was in Isaiah 6. He was lifted up into heaven and he saw the glory of the Lord. I think, I think uh, John, who also wrote the, the books of John, he's relating to the fact that they saw his glory. They beheld him and they touched him and they saw the glory of God. In, in John chapter 1, it saw, talks about we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. So they saw the glory of the Lord in Jesus. And it's similar to what Isaiah experienced when he saw the glory of the Lord and believed. He said, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. My, I, my, I'm undone. I need, I need something. I need, and the angel came and cleansed him. You remember this? And basically John is saying, this is what all the people need. They need to see the glory of the Lord in Jesus and that Jesus could cleanse them. And set them free from their sins. So he's putting all this together for the readers so that they can begin to think in terms of, of uh, who this Jesus actually is. God said they were blind. They were hard-hearted and would not understand. I, um, I read a commentary on this and this section of scripture in Isaiah 6 is written in the Aramaic and it's said that in the Aramaic language it wasn't so much that God blinded them it was that they were blind and God did not want them to to see he did not want them to see he did not want them to hear he did not want that for them now I don't like to get too theological but I try to understand that. You know, here's God giving us an answer, and he doesn't want us to see. He doesn't want us to hear. What's, what's the deal? Well, there's something about God knowing the human heart, something about our, our makeup, that when we're hard-hearted, 
when and truth is presented to us, there are times where it breaks down the hard heart and we believe. There's other times when we're hard-hearted and God gives us more God would give us more truth, we get harder. Remember I had a Bible school teacher that said the same sun that hardens clay melts butter. You know, and that's kind of the truth. It depends on the condition of a person's heart. God knows our hearts. And so I, I didn't quite understand it. So um, well, like this in Romans 1.28, and I, you could read all of Romans from about verse uh, 18 on down, but I just took this one section. It says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, it almost sounds like God is wanting them to do things that aren't proper. But that's not, we know that's not true. That's not consistent with God's teaching. He doesn't want people to do things that are sinful. But what he does sometimes is when people continue to persist in sin, God backs off to allow them to pursue their sin because that's the only way they'll come to an end of themselves and maybe cry out for mercy. Does that make any sense? I, I, I'm a father, you know, and my wife's a mother. And there's times in, when we were raising children that finally you could, you could say nothing more. You could not tell them anything. You know, the point where they grow up and know more than you. And there's the only thing you can do sometimes is back off. And allow them to experience their life until they come to them, their senses. How about the prodigal? The prodigal. We all know the father knew where that boy was at, don't we? That father wasn't stupid. He knew where that boy was feeding the pigs. But the father never pursued him. He never went after him. And he waited until that boy turned and came towards home. And then he pursued him. So I think there's a principle there, if you know what I'm saying. I know I can't point you to a chapter and verse, but I can point you to situations where Israel was so hard-hearted towards God that God had to just allow them to experience their own, their own problems and how it comes in on them. And I'm telling you today, if some of you are here sitting here today and you, you're experiencing certain things, take a look at your heart. Take a look at where you're at in your heart with the Lord. Because he's, he's waiting for us. I always tell people that, uh, you know, anything God does, he does it redemptively. You know, we always talk about, I mean, I've heard a lot about the judgment of God. Listen, folks, judgment is coming. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you, but I came to save you. And Jesus is still here. He's wanting to save. Judgment will come. Judgment is coming. But right now we're in a period of grace where God wants to save and deliver us. And we have to come to him in faith and believe him. I also read this scripture. I thought this was interesting along this same line. 2 Peter 2.21. I wrote it here in, the, in a space about that big. I hope I can get it right. It says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and then turn away from the holy commandment. It would have been better to never have known the truth than to turn away from it. And that's what I, I think God is trying to say to us through the prophet here as he brings this scripture out of the Old Testament 
Because even in Isaiah's day, Isaiah was told, you'll preach to these people, they're not going to listen. Their hearts are hard. They're, they've been hardened. But you preach to them. Like a, one fellow said, the only thing worse than not getting your way is getting your way. Have you ever heard that saying? You know, that's kind of what God sees is the only thing worse than us not getting our way is for us getting our way. And then we end up farther away. So God, God withholds truth at times until we are miserable enough to hear it. That may have been what John was trying to say here about Israel. You know, later on, Paul even says there's been a partial hardening of Israel. You remember that in Romans? There's been a partial hardening of Israel. Uh, eventually, they may listen and receive the word. Now, in verse 42, um, John says, Nevertheless, even though there's all this hardness going on, even though there's all these people not believing, nevertheless, Many, even of the rulers, believed on him. You see that there? Well, I was trying to think of who the rulers were. The only two I could think of was Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? And Joseph of Arimathea. If anyone's seen The Chosen, you know this, right? <laughs> no, actually, if you read the scriptures, you kind of know this. It's not really spoken out that, but who was the two guys that went to Jesus' tomb and, and took... Uh, perfumes and wrapped his body up and prepared him for burial. You know who they were? It was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They, they foot the bill for that. So it kind of gives you an indication that they, they knew him and they had experienced who he was and knew who Jesus was. Many believers believed on him, but they feared the Pharisees and still loved the approval of men rather than God. John puts that in there. That's very cutting, but Think about what John and the other disciples had to endure as they openly, they openly believed in Jesus and people knew that. So not all the Jews were unbelieving. Now, we come to verse 44 through 50. Let me read this because I'm going to make a point here on this. It says, and Jesus cried out, said, and said, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me, beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, that everyone who believes in, in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak I speak just as the Father has told me. I told you in the beginning that this is sort of, this being the last day of the year, this was, this, what we just read here, according to John, was the last public discourse or the last public ministry Jesus spoke. 
from this point on in chapter 13 on, he only speaks privately to his disciples. He doesn't speak publicly anymore. And the other thing, it's interesting that where, where 44 takes up, if you took it out of there and put it over here where 36 is, underneath 36, it's a continuation of the light and darkness speaking that Jesus was giving there. You could put it in, you could plug it in there. So it's almost like before John wanted to share this, he wanted to put the things I just shared about, you know, the unbelief. He wanted to put, because see, this is a gospel of belief. This is a gospel about what believing is and about what unbelief is. It's a gospel about that. It's all about believing. In fact, I don't know if you remember back in the beginning when I, I started teaching, I went to John, I didn't have this written down, John, John 20, I believe it is, yeah, John 20, verse 30, this is the purpose of the book, it says, many other signs therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's written at the end of John. But that's the purpose of the book. That was the purpose of showing us how to believe and what to believe and not be unbelieving. Jesus himself, in this message, is emphasizing believing in him. You notice in verse 44, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus is very emphatic. This is, I think this is the most powerful thing I got out of this section of Scripture. Notice in the very beginning of chapter, or verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out. If you have a New King James Bible, it just says, Jesus cried and said. You know, sometimes I think we take the humanity out of Jesus. We know he's God, but we act like God can't hurt, God can't feel, God, it doesn't bother him what's going on around here because he's God. But I don't think it was Jesus yelling in a loud voice. I think it was literally Jesus was crying as he said these words because he knew it was the last time he was going to speak to unbelieving Jews. He cried as he spoke. There's a lot of that in the scriptures. We kind of pass over it. I know I've brought this out before, where Jesus cried out or Jesus cried. You know, we kind of pass over that and go on to what was said. But I feel like there's something about this, the passion. You know, they even, you remember, you know, there's a movie called The Passion of Christ. You know, that might be a, a Catholic term, I don't know, uh, where they talk about his death and burial and all that as the, his passion. But that was his passion. It had to be a passion with him. What he was sharing was a passionate word, a passionate uh, thought. And you can't abandon feeling when you're sharing something that's so important as to tell people 
that you have to believe in me. And if you believe in me, you're not just believing in me, you're believing in the one who sent me. It's like he's telling the Jew, you're, I'm not telling you to forsake the true living God, but I'm telling you that believing in me is believing in the true living God. That was a little hard for them to wrap their brain around. saying it, this is not a departure from the God that you love and you worship, but believing in, in me was coming to the light and, and not remaining in the darkness of sin. It was being obedient to God's command. This is the, the last thing he was able to say, say to them. It's the same thing he's been saying all along. Merrill Tinney in his book, The Gospel of Belief, says, unbelief is not a polite, unwilling, uh, it's not an unwillingness to assent to some fact, but it's a flat refusal to listen to Christ's truth and to acknowledge his claim on our personal life. It's where we just will not believe. We're so attached to ourself that we won't give ourself over to God. To him, to Jesus. Christ's message is a message of hope for believers, but it's a message of condemnation for unbelievers. Jesus said in John 12 50, God's commandment is eternal life. I, I always kind of puzzled at that. You're commanded to have eternal life. How do I, what do I do? I mean, I'm commanded to have eternal life. You know, you're commanded to have eternal life. How do you have eternal life? In his son. There is no life apart from his son. There is no life of the eternal apart from the son of God. And the only way we can have that, the only way we can obey that command is to have the son of God in our life. Is to believe in the son of God. Trust in him. Put our faith in him. It's only found in Jesus. <laughs> and like Jesus said, be thou a believer. Be thou. Oh, it says, be not unbelieving, but believe. That's what it says. Be not unbelieving, but believe. It's a gospel of belief. Now, folks, as we go back into the rest of the, that, that's all I got for today, by the way. But I wanted to say this, once we get into, there's a break here, 13 is starting, and it's going to be him talking to his disciples on a personal level. And like I said, I think in my last message, all of this from here on is Jesus going to the cross. Jesus, in these last statements he's made, he's closer to the cross now than he ever was. He's only hours away from the cross as he cries out and says this message about us going to the light and believing in him. We're going to have communion today. I believe we are. Are we got it? Okay, thank you. And so I'm going to pray and ask God to touch your lives. Father,
Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for sharing with us the life of the Lord Jesus. Lord, let us, let us receive the passion which Jesus had in wanting to see others come to faith, wanting to see others believe. Let us receive John's passion as he looks into the, the, what he's experienced with the life of Jesus and sees how people have rejected him and how he was abused and treated when John himself saw all those wonderful things that the Lord Jesus did. John knew him as Messiah. Lord, let us know you as Messiah. Let us know you as Savior, Lord. Let us receive the commandment of eternal life as we receive you, Lord. Help us in this new year, Lord God, to have a greater determination to share the life and the message of the cross of Jesus and his powerful resurrection that grants us that freedom and that new life, Lord, and gives us that eternal life. I just pray today as we receive these elements, Lord, we'll realize that it was through your sufferings, Lord, that our transgressions were taken away and covered and given, a, given, a, given us a new life. And as Sean said, we became new creatures through your word and put our trust and our faith in you. We ask it in Jesus' name.